Welcome to another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. Marcus Papp and Reggie Rizou here, bringing you some of the more interesting stories of the day. On today's episode, you'd need a king's ransom just to look at this spirit. Plus, could we one day be flying our cars to the office? A spiky desert plant could help address California's prolonged drought. And you've heard of Black Friday, but it's Brown Friday to some. We'll explain on an all-new edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. If you're of a certain age, you're likely familiar with the Back to the Future movie franchise featuring teenage time traveler Marty McFly. While technology is yet to produce a time-traveling DeLorean like the one seen in the films, it appears we may be one step closer to the flying cars seen in part two of the trilogy. Per a report from GNN or the Good News Network, the Samson Switchblade, a hybrid car slash plane, has achieved liftoff and taken its maiden flight. Less than two weeks ago, a veteran pilot drove the Switchblade to the airport before deploying its wings and tail, then taking off for a six-minute flight 500 feet above the ground. So how does it work? Well, the three-wheeled car, and I'm using air quotes here, requires an airport runway to take off and a private pilot's license to fly. So not just anyone can operate this vehicle. It uses unleaded gasoline rather than leaded airplane fuel and needs three minutes to switch into flying mode. Once in the air, the aircraft can be flown to the airport nearest your destination at up to 200 miles per hour and within a range of 450 miles. Now, for a point of reference, driving from Boston to Washington, D.C. is approximately 440 miles, at least if you're keeping your vehicle on the ground. For a West Coast example, it's roughly 380 miles from Los Angeles to San Francisco by car. Now, the Switchblade comes to us from the U.S.-based Samson Motor Works and can supposedly reach altitudes of 13,000 feet. Once landed, it folds in its wings and tail and is small enough to be parked in a traditional garage. Now, per GNN, the highly anticipated two-seat vehicle had already received 2,300 reservations from 57 countries and all 50 U.S. states. The news of this successful maiden flight may very well result in those figures rising significantly. Samson Sky founder, CEO, and designer of the Switchblade, Sam Bousman, sure seems to think so by saying, quote, Today is the culmination of many years of hard work and persistence to make the vision of a flying sports car a reality. This puts us on the path towards producing thousands of Switchblades to meet the large and enthusiastic demand we're receiving, end quote. The Samson team will use the flight test data to finalize production engineering and build several production prototypes. Currently, the Switchblade comes in two kit types, a $180,000 model that permits a pilot to operate in clear weather conditions and a $200,000 version to fly under different weather conditions, including flying into clouds and with zero visibility. All models are shipped in a kit format and must be assembled by a professional. I'd be remiss to not mention there is some competition for the skies as the Slovakian-designed air car also received its airworthiness certificate in January of 2022. A company in Dayton, Ohio, is also working to produce flying taxis with the ability to take off and land vertically using a series of propellers. Now, I watched a few videos on the Switchblade Reggie as well as the air car, and quite frankly, wow, they're pretty darn cool. 
But that doesn't mean I don't have a lot of questions about this, including whether or not these could ever truly become mainstream since they obviously require a pilot's license. And two, if they were to become more commonplace, how do you monitor the skies and the sky traffic that would inevitably build up? I think with the pilot license, eventually do we all just get pilot license instead of driver's license? I mean, I that, suppose that... that's possible. Yeah. It, it... I, I mean, could you imagine taking your driver's test and having to take off? For the most part, most people fear parallel parking, but now you'd have to <laughs> think about say that. getting up to 10,000 feet in altitude. As for the traffic, I'm assuming it'll be like anytime you see Star Wars or any futuristic movie. There's lanes of traffic still. Even though you're flying, they'll probably still have different lanes for going this way, that way. So it'll be regulated in some way. And for distances, yeah, this may work. But if you're just trying to commute to work, which is, you know, 30 miles away, I, I kind of like the idea of the Ohio one with the, the flying taxis that use propellers. I want something that'd be more hover-like. I don't care about going 200 miles per hour just to be able to get off the ground and go straight there. I, I yeah, kind of like I, that idea better. Yeah, I, I hear you when it comes to mass appeal. If you were someone fortunate enough to buy one of these in the early stages, say, meaning if you had the money to be able to do this, and say you lived in Boston or New York and you're going, eh, you know what, I want to get down to D.C. for the weekend or I want to go to Cleveland or Detroit. I, I, I'm just thinking of areas that are somewhat proximate but not exactly next door, and you can just pick up and fly yourself there. That's kind of cool to think about. I, I, I myself would never have one, but hopefully I know someone with enough money that I can just sort of tag along when the time is right. I wonder what the runway time is. You know, you're, you're on a jet at the airport. Sometimes you sit on that runway for a half hour, hour. Do these get to you a little <laughs> special treatment or do you have to wait longer? I just, I'm just picturing the the lineup of of uh, vehicles. <laughs> Tiny <there>. cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, you've got a couple of massive planes ready to go, and then up next, here comes a switchblade with three people going on a family vacation for the weekend. A new record has been set for the sale of alcohol, with the most sought after whiskey being sold at auction for 2.7 million dollars at Sotheby's in London. It is Macallan Adami 1926. Shortly after the bidding started, a bidding war took place between a virtual bidder and one attending the auction live. The in-person bidder ended up winning the bottle of whiskey. So why is this whiskey so expensive? It was part of a collection that only had 40 bottles produced in 1986 from sherry that had been aged for six decades. The label on the bottle was also increasing its value as it was only one of 14 that was decorated with iconic fine and rare labels. Those bottles were never available for purchase. Instead, some of them were offered exclusively to McAllen's top clients. The Italian painter Valario Dami painted 12 additional bottles in 1993 and was one of these bottles that was sold in the auction. The bottle sold is the first to have undergone reconditioning by the distillery before the auction. So what they did is they replaced the cork and they applied new glue to the corners of the labels. When replacing the cork during the reconditioning, they were also able to sniff the whiskey and McAllen's master whiskey maker, Kirstine Campbell, said that it contained notes of rich, dark fruits, black cherry compote alongside sticky dates, followed by intense, sweet, antique oak, dark chocolate, treacle, ginger, and the notes go on and on. She added it was a very special moment to experience the opening of this iconic 60-year-old single malt bottled 37 years ago, and I hope the new custodian will enjoy the same privilege, end quote. My question for you, Marcus, first of all, 
do you drink this? 2.7 no million. No chance. No chance, Reggie. There's no way I'm drinking a $2.7 million bottle of alcohol, which, frankly, there's no way that I would shell out that kind of money for something that I'm unwilling to actually consume. And by the way, I'm not doubting Christine Campbell's skills, as I'm sure master whiskey makers are much better at this than I. But that's a lot of stuff that she <laughs> sensed by smelling it one a couple of times. I mean... That was my second question to you. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of different things you're picking up on in in a couple of sniffs. There's no chance that I can throw that out there. So, I mean, frankly, I'm probably not deserving of drinking something this fine and rare anyway. I'm definitely not cultured enough because you hand that bottle of whiskey to me. If I uh, smelled it or took a sip, I would just say... Yeah, smells like whiskey. You're mixing it with Coke, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Taking my $2.7 million whiskey and getting that dollar bottle of Coke, and I'm mixing them together. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. While society at large continues to grapple with the effects of climate change and how best to address it, you've likely noticed things have been especially volatile in California of late. A years-long drought gave way to copious amounts of precipitation in 2022, resulting in flooding and mudslides. That said, the larger regional drought throughout the American West has forced those in the area to rethink their approach to a number of things, including farming and which crops to grow. For a recent AP report, one idea that's showing real promise is agave, the succulent used to produce tequila and mezcal, which together make up one of the fastest growing categories of spirits in the U.S. And as you might expect, agave also requires very little water to grow. While it's true that both mezcal and real tequila can only be produced in Mexico, much the way true champagne can only come from the Champagne region of France, the plant can be used to produce other agave-based spirits. Now, as an aside, some of you may be asking yourself, what's the difference between tequila and mezcal? Is mezcal just tequila under a different name? Not exactly. While both mezcal and tequila are made from agave, tequila is actually a specific type of mezcal. Mezcal can be produced from up to 50 different species of the agave plant, but tequila must contain at least 51% tequilano Weber or Weber Blue Agave. Additionally, agave that's earmarked for tequila is steamed in ovens, while the plant is often roasted in underground pits for the more generic mezcal. The latter technique often leads to a distinctive smoky note. For the story on the evolving selection of crops in California, the AP spoke to one farmer named Leo Ortega, a mechanical engineer by trade who's looking to get out in front of the state's water shortage, especially with limits on groundwater pumping seemingly imminent. Ortega told Amy Taxon of the Associated Press, quote, when we were watering the agave, they didn't really grow much, and the ones that weren't watered were actually growing better, end quote. 
Ortega is now investing in a distillery after his first few spirit batches made from American-grown agave sold for $160 a bottle. To be clear, agave isn't grown on a large scale in California quite yet, and it would take years for that to actually happen. It also comes with its share of other challenges. The plant typically takes at least seven years to grow and can be difficult to harvest. A mature plant can weigh hundreds of pounds, and once it's cut, it has to be grown all over again. Still, the higher-end spirits produced from agave are proving popular, especially since the 2020 pandemic, all while lending California farmers at least one crop alternative to consider moving forward. Reggie, one other tidbit I learned from reading up on this situation, California actually produces the bulk of the produce consumed around the U.S. I did not know that, uh, but on a note more related to this particular story, I guess, uh, I myself am a fan of quality tequila, and I have to believe that I would enjoy some of the agave-based products that could come out of California and the United States, although I'm certain this probably doesn't come as great news to the folks in Mexico where tequila is actually produced. First, I'm not really all that surprised that a lot of the produce comes from California. You know, you got places uh, in the Midwest. You have a lot more dramatic change in seasons. It's harder to produce some of those vegetables during winter versus California. You have a little bit longer time period to grow a lot of those. So that doesn't really surprise me. And, you know, this is more than just tequila because don't they have the agave sweeteners out there yeah, yeah so this this right. can be used more than just for tequila i mean yeah you i guess you want to use it for tequila but you can use, there's other purposes for it as well so this could be an interesting trend if it starts and remember agave is just one type of succulent that could be grown aloe is another one that comes to mind and uh certainly any of us who've had a severe sunburn <laughs> have uh have come to know the benefits of of aloe and and what that can provide, but something to keep an eye on as the U.S. economy, like all others around the world, continue to evolve with the climate. Day after Thanksgiving, when things get real crazy. I'm not talking about Black Friday, though. It's Brown Friday that you should worry about. According to Roto-Rooter, Brown Friday is the busiest day of the year for plumbers in the U.S., with calls averaging as high as 50% more than the typical Friday. Thanksgiving weekend overall averages a 21% increase compared to the average Thursday through Sunday period. Now, before you start making assumptions on why they're calling it Brown Friday, here are the main reasons for the calls in ranking order. Number one, kitchen sink clogs and jammed garbage disposals. Number two, main sewer clogs. And three, come the toilet clogs. Now, Roto-Rooter also released a few tips to help prevent some of those calls. First, never pour fats or cooking oils down the drains. They solidify in the pipes. Instead, wipe the grease from the pots with paper towels and throw them in the trash. Avoid putting stringy, fibrous, or starchy waste in the garbage disposal. Uh, poultry skins, celery, fruit, potato peels, for example, cannot be sufficiently broken down. Make sure the disposal is running when you put the food into it. Don't wait until it is full to turn it on. If you have guests, well, it might be a good idea to wait 10 minutes between showers to slow down the uh, drains so they have time to do their job. Don't flush cotton balls, swabs, hair, or wet wipes down the toilet. They don't dissolve and will cause clogs. Place a wastebasket in the bathroom so these items won't be flushed. And I, I hope you already have a wastebasket in the bathroom, but that's, that's my personal preference. <laughs> Try to address any plumbing problems before the holiday and before guests arrive. However, in case of a holiday plumbing emergency, don't hesitate to ask for a plumber up front. 
about how much extra it'll cost for those holiday service fees. As always, uh, you know, maybe learn how to do a few of these uh, fixes on your own as well. Often, minor plumbing problems turn into plumbing catastrophes if not handled properly. Some of these I feel like are no-brainers. You know, you, there are certain things you don't want to put down the drain, but... You'd it, like to think that, Reggie. I would like to think these are no-brainers, too. Then again, I've run into some people in my time who... <laughs> Maybe not so much. I do have to say on that list, like the kitchen sink clogs, I kind of get. You know, you're doing a lot of food, you're whatever. I do like how toilet clogs are number three on that list, though. So clearly Brown Friday has a little bit of a, the name kind of a, a fits. Yeah. Can I just say, because you made it seem as though like, oh, hey, before you go jumping to any conclusions, what conclusion are we supposed to draw when plumbers are the ones behind this particular uh holiday i i i mean you're calling it brown friday i don't know that there's a lot of other options for our minds uh, or conclusions that we can draw here grease can be kind of a, a lightish brown you got reach. potato peels that are brown reach what a reach uh, turkey can be brown sure everybody's <laughs> thinking oh that brown turkey skin and those brown potato peels that must be why they call it brown friday exactly on to today in history, November 20th of 1620, the birth of Peregrine White. Now you're probably saying, who the heck is Peregrine White? Well, that's the child of William and Susanna White. They were Mayflower passengers, and he was the first English child, Peregrine that is, born in the Plymouth Colony at Cape Cod Harbor, Reggie. What's interesting though is, while he may have been the first baby born in the colony, he wasn't the first baby born from the Mayflower. There was a child born on the Mayflower during its historic voyage. So he's got that uh, reputation of the first one born in the colony, but not the first one from the Mayflower. And he went on later to become a person of note in the Plymouth colony as well, both active in military and government affairs. And a little side note, the Whites, there's no proof of this yet, but it is assumed that they boarded the Mayflower as part of the merchant group not as members of the religious movement. Interesting, interesting. I would assume that at that time, because, of course, the United States didn't exist in its current form, that Berrigan Williams, uh, like the other baby born aboard the Mayflower, were technically still British citizens. That'll do it for another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home podcast. For Reggie Rizzo, my name's Marcus Paff, and we thank you, as always, for once again joining us here on the show. Back tomorrow with an all-new edition.